And Jesus says, what you've done is you've drawn a conclusion by looking at what Scripture doesn't say rather than what Scripture does. You're wrong because you do not know. What he's saying, actually, the original language says you're you're wrong because you have allowed yourselves to go astray. You don't want to see the truth. So you're creating your own truth based on what feels good for you. Your life is so out of focus because you've made the choice to not accept the fullness of God's word. Proverbs 4 says that this is a fool who does this. You're listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. Amen. You can have a seat. If you desire, I I would encourage you at some point, maybe uh, throughout the week, um, to go back and 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 take in uh, maybe online, you know what, what just the, just the worship part, what's just taking place. Because I don't know that we've ever had. I appreciate Pastor Ethan so much, but I don't know if we've ever had a, a set of worship that basically I could just not even preach right now because the songs that we had just sung took us all the way through everything that we're going to talk about. That's why we're, that's why we're here. We're to tell God how much we love Him, to gather together, because that's what He's called us to do. And, and this is a small taste of eternity and what is to come. When we'll be together in glory, um, the difference is everything's just going to be so much better. <laughs> You're not going to come with worry. You're not going to come wondering, what are people thinking about me? Did I, did I dress uh, up too much or down too much? None of that, need, none of that matters. Because in eternity, everything is going to be so much better. Uh, I don't know if you live a life of trying to improve things every day, improve your life. Uh, there's this thing uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of people are familiar with, life hacks now, that, that there are things you can take, your average everyday stuff laying around your house that can improve your life so much. Uh, one, I, I'm, I'm, I get super into these because uh, uh, I'm always trying to obviously improve my life because it's so necessary. One of them is if you, have, if you burn a candle too low and you can't get your stubby little fingers in there and you drop a match and you always burn the tips of your fingers, then you just light a piece of dried spaghetti and you can use that as a match. Uh, what a great thing that is. Uh, another one that I've learned um, is, uh, I don't even remember, oh yeah, that's right. If, you, if you're into cooking like I am, I'm into eating, all right? I'm not into cooking. Uh, but when I cook, it is a disaster. And so uh, we have, we have uh, a couple cookbooks at our house that I have used over the years, and they are, you can't even read them anywhere. They're so covered in spaghetti sauce and all sorts of stuff. So you just use a hanger with some pant clips and, uh, and clip your cookbook high in the air where stuff can't get on it. I'd find a way, but it's a life hack. My favorite one is this. This is the one that, that I learned. This is actually a visual example today. I learned that uh, if you fly on an airplane, that, and you're like me, you fly on airlines that don't have televisions, uh, or if you're like me, and when you do fly on airlines with televisions, you get really annoyed when they come on to try to tell you how to save your own life. And so you're like, I don't like when my TV pauses. I want to watch it on my phone. So what they say is, take the snacks and take the bag and then place your phone by that. And then you take your case of your phone and snap it on there. And then you clip that onto the chair in front of you. You get your own little home theater. As you travel through the air, it's a really great thing, right? Life gets improved, right? You're, you're all going to try that as soon today. Also, just to let you know, 
it's not really a fire theme today, but I've also learned that if you crush up Doritos and you're out like camping, which I know nothing about, but then you pour these, that Doritos are actually the best fire starter there is. They'll light up uh, incredibly, which probably says why you shouldn't eat them and you should probably uh, burn them. Uh, but, but it's, life can be better. What we have to do is we've got to embrace how uh, life can be better, how it can be improved, and that's what our text is going to talk about today. We're in uh, Matthew 22. We're going to read verse 23, and then we're going to read through 33 today. But as you're turning there, let me just remind you, we're walking through the book of Matthew for purpose and reason, because Jesus is King. He's the Lord over our lives, and He calls us to follow Him. And so the best way that we can follow Him is to learn as much as we possibly can about Him. And so we're walking through the entire book of Matthew word by word because every word that's in God's Word is given to us for purpose and for meaning. And so we want to know it, and we want to know how to be a disciple and how we can disciple. So we're nearing the end of this book. We're, we're now in the Passion Week. So it's Tuesday of the Passion Week, and it's a big day. We've already seen it by a number of passages that we've been studying. Jesus is constantly being approached by a number of groups of people that are against him, asking him a lot of theological and political questions, trying to get him to stumble over his words so they can arrest him, they can kill him, they want to get rid of him, because in their opinion, he's making their life worse not better like he promises. And that's because they're sinful and they're selfish and they want the power and they want money. And Jesus is turning the world upside down. He's saying, that you've constantly, he says it, you've heard it said, but I say to you. In other words, you don't understand what it is that you're supposed to understand. You're not living the life the way that God has called you to live it. And so here we are, Tuesday of Passion Week. It's so full of this teaching, Jesus in the temple, Uh, in Solomon's portico, like a big long hallway where groups are gathering around him and just one by one as he answers these questions and he puts people, you know, basically to shame with his answers and they're they're baffled by it. They walk away and then the next group comes up and starts asking him questions. Their intent is to get him to slip up. They want him gone because he's a threat to their systems. And Jesus has been teaching your systems have become your religion. You've forgotten about the one true God. You're blind to the fact that the Messiah, that your Savior is right in front of you. So he had to deal with the priests in the temple. Then he dealt with the scribes and he dealt with the teachers and he dealt with the Pharisees last week. He dealt with the Pharisees' disciples. He dealt with the Herodians. And now today uh, in our text, here we go again. Another group of people rise up that are trying to take Jesus down. Let's stand together as I read uh, this text. So the same day, that is uh, that Tuesday, the Sadducees came to Jesus uh, who say there is no resurrection. Matthew points that out. This is a, that's a key piece to understanding this text. And they asked Jesus a question saying, Teacher, Moses said if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us, and the first married and died, and having no children left his wife to his brother. So two, the second and third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife is she going to be? For they had all had her. Jesus answered them, you're wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are they given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. 
And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Father, this is your word. My prayer is that today, Father, that we would all be, uh, that we would all marvel, that we would all be astonished at just this reminder that you are the God that knows and loves us, that cares about us enough, uh, that you would send your Son, your Savior, Jesus, that would rescue us. May we embrace this truth. And then through this text today, ask, so how do you want us to, to think and live? So bless this time. May it honor and glorify you. God, it's yours. Amen. You can have a seat. So Jesus has been teaching. He just got done uh, teaching about the law and taxes and following God, and it blew people's minds. And, and so you can imagine, and they, they leave, the, the Pharisees, disciples, the, the Herodians, they walk away. It's kind of like this line, like, well, we didn't get them, but we failed. And then the, here come this next group of people, uh, the Sadducees. And Matthew, as I said, points out, here's the key piece. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so that's how they frame this question. That's not really a question to them. It's a, just this ludicrous example. It's so extreme and out there. But they were like, look, we, we've tried everything. We've got to try to get this guy. Let me just explain to you a little bit about the Sadducees. We know a lot about the Pharisees. They uh, uh, confront Jesus a lot. The Sadducees were also another group of Jewish leaders. They were smaller than the Pharisees, but they had more power. Uh, the Sadducees oversaw a lot of the workings, basically the financial dealings of the temple, which meant that they then in turn gained a lot from it. So they gained a lot of, of holding and lording the law over the people. That's what, when it came to their practicing their faith, their belief was solely in the Torah. That means Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, only the books of Moses. Everything else they just say is, is, is extra biblical and it is not God's word. Also, the only thing they cared about in the Mosaic law were the actual laws themselves. Everything else didn't really matter to them. They only desired to, to try to live out the law. That's the only thing they said that God wants us to live out. So everything else kind of really didn't matter. They were known to walk with their kind of their noses in the air. They were better than everybody else. They were uh, made up a, a large part of the Sanhedrin, that is the, the Jewish Supreme Court. Even their title, Sadducee, means the correct ones. Like, so they, they, they wore that as kind of a badge of honor. Well, you know that we're right. You know some people like that? Like, well, you can think whatever you want of me, but, but my identity is I'm right all the time, and I'm the only one that knows what's right. So they were conservative in their religious activity, but they were incredibly liberal in their love of money and control and power and compromise when it came to their relationships with, uh, with the government, with Rome, whatever benefited them. So viewed by the Pharisees who, were, who really said, we, we need to live holy lives, uh, the Sadducees really didn't care. And so they rose up uh, against each other. They rejected all of the oral law. In other words, uh, any rabbinic interpretation of what Moses meant or God meant through the law. Uh, and, uh, and, and they took it, everything just literally as well, which obviously they should, but they rejected them. 
because we only follow these five books, they rejected any teachings at all on the afterlife, on resurrection, on angels, uh, spirits, anything like that. Well, that clashed uh, with the Pharisees because uh, in the entirety of Scripture, it is full of, even in the Torah, talks about right away in Genesis, talks about an angel of the Lord. But as Paul tells us in Acts 23, verse 8, they rejected teachings on resurrection, angels, and spirits. Unlike the the Pharisees as well, who held the law over people, Sadducees basically just kind of, almost like they felt like really there's there's no rules outside of whatever the, the laws are that God gives, and it's up to you to interpret what they are. They believed God wasn't really active in daily life, and then, and then when life was over, it was just over. There, there really isn't much for us. Uh, our soul and our spirit are connected. Our body and spirit are connected, so when the body dies, so does the spirit. End of story. Really great belief to have if you want to avoid having to face the reality of the truth of judgment. Right? I mean, that's, isn't that the world that we live in? I, I, don't, I don't want to think about bad stuff. I don't want to think about that there's going to come a day or I have to make, make, have an answer for the life that I live. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to believe that there isn't a hell. I'm just going to believe that there, that there isn't an Afro. Or I'm just going to believe that... That God loves everybody, and so in the end, everybody's just going to show up in heaven. It's when we decide that we're going to create our own belief system uh, just out of our own feelings, it is, it's, it's not dangerous, it's damning. So they drum up this question for Jesus, and their, their intent is they, they just, again, they want to get him to stumble over his words, to prove to the people he doesn't know what he's talking about, to say something that he probably shouldn't. But they want to ridicule this belief in resurrection because Jesus is proclaiming it. He is the embodiment of life after death. He will give his life on the cross and he will defeat sin. He'll defeat death. He'll rise again and offer eternal life to anybody that will accept it. And, and so Satan is using them to really, before it takes place, to get people to, to not believe in the resurrection. And so they come up with this crazy situation. Hey, teacher, you know, again, they're trying to butter them up. We have a question for you. Uh, we, we got a problem, and they kind of make it their own. Like we got, we're, we're like this family of seven brothers, and, um, and we know from, the, from what Moses said is that if, if, a, uh, uh, if one of the brothers dies, then, then one of us has to take the wife as our wife and then raise uh, our children as kind of in the name of our brother, and, uh, and we, don't, we just want to know that in the resurrection, uh, if, let's say that happens, if she's married to seven different men, who's she going to be married to when, when, when we get to heaven? Which one of us will be uh, her husband? And, and it, is, it does sound ridiculous. It's actually, there actually is a historical record. Uh, about 200 years before Jesus, there was a, there was a book that was written. It's called the Book of Tobit. Uh, many people, if, if you read the Apocrypha, will find it. It's just a non-canonical book, uh, not seen as, as Scripture, inspired by God. But it's a historical document, and it tells a story of this guy Tobit, who, uh, who is from Nineveh, and he has uh, sons. 
And the oldest son marries this young woman. And in the story, it goes that this young woman has uh, someone who's also in love with her, but this is a demon. And the demon doesn't like that she's going to marry the oldest son. And so uh, when, when they go into the, the marriage bed, before this big banquet is going to take place, uh, before anything can take place, uh, the demon kills the, this, this man. So then, because uh, of the law that was stated by Moses, then the next brother uh, it marries her. But, but before they can get to the consummation of the marriage, the demon kills him. And it goes on and on and on. It goes all the way down to the youngest son. His name is Tobias. And Tobias, uh, his dad says, well, you, you now need to just follow through and you need to become her husband. And Tobias is like, are you insane? This doesn't, I don't know if you notice this, but this isn't working out very well. And, and, and so the story goes that he does uh, marry her and then and they go into kind of their, their, the marriage bed and, and then all the servants and slaves are outside going, I'm not going to go check on them. <laughs> you go check on them because I know how this story ends, right? So all of that to say is that th- what they did is they, they've taken this extreme story and they've just said, this is proof that there is no resurrection. That's what they're trying to do. They're, they're really stretching, taking something that's not talking about uh, the subject of resurrection, and they're just saying because of the lunacy of, a situa- of an extreme situation, then what you teach on cannot be true. Oh, the lengths that we as humans will go to not have to face truth. The things that we'll drum up, or things our imagination uh, will bring to mind. 1 Peter 1.14 says, says, Don't conform to the desires that you have because of your ignorance, but live in obedience. But how many of us, we do that? But because I don't know this, because I can't wrap my mind around it, because I don't understand it, I'm just going to say that it doesn't exist. Or I'm going to develop my own belief system out of the things that Scripture doesn't say rather than what Scripture says. So, so all of that, that just kind of sets the stage for their question. Because in the book of Deuteronomy, in the law of Moses, Moses uh, actually says, he talks about this thing called leveret marriage. And it, what it means is brother-in-law marriage that we know from, from studying ancient culture and the Old Testament is that it was a big deal to be the oldest son in a family. Because it was your duty, your job to carry on the family name. So the, the, the family, all the property was left to you. And you were now, basically you became dad when dad wasn't there. And then your job, your role was to then bless the rest of the family like a father would bless a family. And, and when you had children, then your oldest son that you had would then become your heir, would receive not just all the stuff, but the responsibility and the blessing of being the oldest. Well, if if you didn't have children, you were the oldest son, and you married a woman, and and you passed away, and you didn't have children, then Moses said, then then what you need to do is that the next brother in line needs to take uh, up the responsibility by not allowing her to be a widow, or childless, and so you have a child with her. But that child, when it is born, becomes the child of your brother. That's how you will raise them. They're the ones that are still going to inherit everything uh, for, for the family. And, and so the problem that the Sadducees had was that they were taking a law about marriage, 
And they were trying to make it a belief system about why the resurrection can't be true. Because there's no way that a woman would have to choose between seven husbands in heaven. Right? I mean, that, that it's just too confusing. I've heard it taught that their purpose behind all of this is really just to show Jesus to be the fool. But I think just in their question, they really show who the foolish ones are. They don't believe in the resurrection. They're just looking for, for some type of a support, and they are really stretching. It's sarcastic, it's rude, it's short, it's egotistical in the way that they're approaching it. But Jesus' answer clears it all up. And he, he, what he's talking about is, is if you want to have a better life, you got to think bigger with a stronger foundation for all of us today. Same thing, if we want to have a better life, this isn't a life hack, this is truth. We need to strengthen our foundation. And what does Jesus say? You've got a weak theology or a weak understanding of Scripture, and you have a low view of God and His power. That's how He responds. You, you ask this question and you say these things because you don't know the Scriptures and you, and you downplay the, the power of God in your life. Basically, what, the, what they were doing as Sadducees is just studying the Word of God really and understanding it through their own logic, which is dangerous. We can't comprehend it, so it can't be true. Or we'll decide what it means. So to them, the proof of no resurrection is found right here in this one law that, that Moses mentions about a woman and her seven husbands. And, and Jesus says, what you've done is you've drawn a conclusion uh, by looking at what Scripture does doesn't say rather than what scripture does you're wrong because you do not know what he's saying actually the original language says you're wrong because you have allowed yourselves to go astray you don't want to see the truth so you're creating your own truth based on what feels good for you your life is so out of focus because you've made the choice to not Accept the fullness of God's word. Proverbs 4 says that this is a fool who does this. It's also the problem with a lot of our modern day social issues that we live in today. I don't, I don't like what the Bible says about this or about that. Uh, I don't feel it lines up with what I feel is right. So then it must be wrong. Or since the Bible doesn't explicitly mention it, then it must be okay for me to do. Or, or we embrace this dangerous belief system that what it all comes down to, we're going to talk about this next week, is as long as you love God and love others, you're good. Right? Which, I don't want to get on a huge soapbox, but, but I'm just going to say it, which is the problem with the uh, He Gets Us commercial that we saw at the Super Bowl. That, 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 that in some way, that the only thing that matters is that we just show people love. You know, so that, that was the picture that we saw. People with heroin needles hanging out of their arm or sitting in front of abortion clinic preparing to get an abortion. As long as we just, as long as you don't hate them, as long as we just let them know that they're loved, that's what matters. I was confused by the commercial. I, I don't know about you. I didn't know who the target audience was. Because if the target audience was non-believing people that were supposed to believe in Jesus, it fell flat on them. Because I saw them online this week and they were irate. Why would Christians who preach taking care of people spend $20 million on a commercial instead of feed the hungry? So non-believers uh, couldn't stand it. 
I assume it was targeted at me because the, the message at the end was uh, Jesus didn't preach hate. So I'm assuming that I was being attacked for I in some way by going to people who are lost in their sin and saying, I love you and I want to spend time like Jesus did, uh, that, that he spent time with people and he cared for people. But you know what? Every time they read about Jesus coming into connection with lost people or sinners, they left changed. They didn't just leave with clean feet. It doesn't mean anything. And so what we need to do is bring people the gospel. But if, but if we let our world continue to water down this gospel that, man, all you need to do is just love, then we've, we've redefined what love is. Because love truly is I care about you so much that I don't want you to have a broken heart. I don't want you to go through life feeling like you're confused and living in darkness. I don't want you to end this life and go to hell. You need Jesus. Not, not because of, of how God made you. You need Jesus because we're sinful people and we all need him. We all need a rescue. But, but when we don't take the fullness of Scripture and apply it to our lives, like Jesus said, you, you're living this way because you don't know Scripture, then we got to help people to know Scripture. People don't get very far if we just say, I love you. Thanks. That's not going to help anybody when this life ends. Jesus says you don't know how to live or what to believe because you've strayed from the Word of God. So how many times have we heard Jesus say to all of these religious leaders, you're not doing it right. You've misinterpreted Scripture. You're twisting it. You've heard it said, and Jesus shows up to go, I'm telling you what is true, because all of his words are true, and that's what he claims here. What does 2 Timothy 3.16 say? All of Scripture is God-breathed. In other words, given by him for purpose and meaning. It comes from God himself to help us to be equipped for every good work. The entirety of Scripture is given to us to help us live the lives that He wants us to live. The best life. It's God's revelation, and it is a sufficient guide for us to know His will, to tell us how to live for Him. Set that strong foundation. And then, and then, we've, got to, then we've got to read it, and then get excited about this life that He asked us. We need to live beyond ourselves. The foolishness that Jesus addresses is because... They don't, know, they don't read Scripture. They've allowed uh, to have a, a narrow-minded uh, view of things, including the power of God. And so he says, if you don't know Scriptures, you're going to create in your own mind a very limited view of God because our minds are, we're human. We're so limited. We can't think beyond. I mean, we, we try to imagine. We come up with big things. But, but when it comes to, to the things of God, we don't even, we don't even hold a candle. Lit spaghetti. <laughs> I just thought of that. <laughs> but the eternal world is not like our world. That uh, God in all of His glory, what heaven is going to be like, the kingdom that is to come, we barely can get a taste of it uh, from what it is that we read in Scripture. Uh, I was chatting with Pastor Ethan the other day, and he said, I think the reason that God doesn't give us, uh, tell us everything about heaven is because we would hate this life so much all we would want to do is get out of here. But there's purpose and a meaning, and God wants us to long for Him. We can't even fathom what He has in store for us because this is the only world that we know. A number of years ago, I was in Cameroon, and we were teaching uh, youth leaders about youth outreach. And uh, so it was my turn to talk. I thought I had a pretty good talk. 
because I have a really good story of, of when a group of friends of mine and, and I, we got together and we were doing an outreach event uh, for a group of students in, when we were in seminary in Sioux Falls. And, uh, and, and so we decided that we were going to target from an evangelism class uh, skaters in our town. Because in Sioux Falls, in those days, the mid-90s, there were no skate parks. And we're like, let's give them skate parks. So we started building, you know, kind of these hack ramps that kids could die on. And, and uh, we set up the seminary parking lot. And everybody in the seminary housing that lived around the seminary hated us because we had kids skating all, all over the place all the time. And we loved it. We were, we, there's ministry that was taking place. Schools found out about it. And we became, uh, Sioux Falls became the first uh, city in the nation to have, to have skate teams, which is kind of anti-skater. Skaters were like, what? Skate teams, but we had competitions, and they actually gave us money to buy real new wood that we got to cut and, and build these skate parks. And so we, we also we were building like rails that kids could slide down and, and picnic tables. And so I'm teaching this to Cameroonians, and, and they're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. And, and, and afterwards, they came up and like, why do you allow children to stand on tables? You know, I mean, it was just kind of this, we, don't, we, we have no idea what you're talking about. Our culture... Uh, is not your culture. And I, and I think about that all the time to think about when we try to comprehend eternity and the kingdom of God and what is to come after the resurrection and I can't even begin to imagine what it's going to be like. And so what do we do? We kind of create in our own minds uh, the best that we can imagine of what it's going to be. But that world is not this world. And so Jesus says, you've gone astray. You haven't fully understood Scripture, the magnitude of God. And so you don't understand His Word. And then He gives this news that, that He says, don't you understand there will be no marriage in heaven? You're wondering who, you're wondering who she's going to be married to. And Jesus says, none of them. No one's going to be married in heaven. It, it, you're going to be like the angels, not, not be angels in heaven. You're going to be like them, where they, they don't have those... They don't need those intimate relationships with one another because the only thing that matters in heaven is, is the intimate relationship that we're going to have with the Father. Some of us might sit back today and go, what, I'm not going to have my spouse in heaven? And I just say, you know what? You're not going to care because God is going to fulfill everything that you possibly need. And it just goes on and on as, as far as everything is concerned in our lives. What we need to understand is that marriage is given for a purpose and a reason here on this earth, and that is to reflect the relationship of us and Christ. That, that's what it's all about. Our relationship between us and God. That's why all throughout the Old Testament, he says, I'm your God, and you're my people. And then when, when they go chasing after other gods, what does he say? You adulterous generation. This this relationship that you have uh, among people is the direct relationship, a reflection of the relationship you have with me. There is uh, unending amounts of Scripture that talk about Christ as the head of the church. And we are his, his bride, waiting for the bridegroom to return and to come and get us and to take us into his home uh, forever. The relationship that we have with as husbands and wives are told to us in Ephesians 5. Paul says this is how you should, this is how you love one another. This is how you work out your marriage to the best possible way that you can. And he says, sacrifice for each other. The way that Christ sacrificed for you. 
Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved you, gave himself up for you. Stop living selfishly. Do whatever you can to to hold your wife up, to present her on that last day before God to say, uh, I know her and she knows you and I've done everything I can to help her be the best possible disciple of Jesus. And I tried to exemplify it as best I possibly could with my life. And wives, same thing. It says, wives, submit to your husbands because this is what God's plan is for you is we just submit to his authority. But in that, husbands, do not overpower your wives. Don't weigh them down. This submission is the way in which we submit to Christ to say, show me how it is that I'm supposed to live. And a wife can stand with her husband before Christ in in the end and say, uh, they are the way they are because I've loved like you love the church. I sacrificially gave of myself. But in the end, there's no need for that. We don't need representation of a relationship with Christ because we're going to be with him face to face for all of eternity. Jesus is saying, you're thinking of it all wrong. All the things that exist in this world, that exist as a reflection of our relationship with God, are no longer necessary because we're with Him forever, for all of eternity. Yes, the marriage relationship is the best possible relationship we can have on this earth as a reflection of us and Christ, but if you look beyond, there's something better that is to come. What an encouragement that is. First of all, for us and on why we want to be the best husbands and wives that we possibly can, the best parents that we can, the best friends that we can for others, because what we do in those relationships reflects how much we actually care and love Christ. It's also an encouragement, maybe because you just say, but, but what about any church? I didn't, on this earth, I never got a chance. God didn't have it in the plan for me to get married. Well, in eternity, it's better. All the needs that you could possibly imagine thinking that you have here on this earth are going to be fulfilled by Him in eternity. God's creative power is going to transform the nature of existence that the normal conditions of this life are no longer going to be in effect. How amazing is that? Everything in eternity is better. Relationships are better. We're we're going to be one giant family. We're finally going to get along. We're finally going to agree on everything. Nobody's going to argue about anything. We're just going to be praising Him and worshiping Him and following Him. It's the only thing that's going to matter. We're not going to have any needs. It's, it's almost impossible to think about. How can I go through life? Eternity. Billions of years we're going to exist because of Jesus in the presence of God, and not once are you going to have to think about what you have to do tomorrow. Not once are you going to think about words that people spoke about you and let them uh, crush your own identity. It's not going to happen because everything's better at its best in heaven. There's not going to be any death whatsoever. You don't have to go to the gym ever. Hmm? You, you, I don't know. I mean, you could, I suppose you could probably run if you want to, you know, but everybody's going to, why are they running? For God's pleasure, whatever. Everything is going to be at its best. We can't even fathom it. And so because there won't be any death, there won't be any need for, 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 new, for new birth, procreation. Yeah. Not even a need for sex. Everything that we believe that we need on this earth, 
is going to be provided to us by God, God alone, better than we can ever imagine. Craig Bromberg, in his commentary, says, A lack of sex or marriage doesn't in any way diminish heavenly bliss. In the life to come, all interpersonal relationships will no doubt far surpass the most intimate and pleasurable of human intercourse as we know it. Neither jealousy or exclusivism will mar any human interaction in any way. The things of this world are going to pass away, but in the presence of God, everything is going to get better. Psalm 1611 says, In God's presence is the fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's all we need to know. So you might sit here and go, this is the first I've heard that that my spouse, that we're not going to be married in heaven. Some of you, hey, you know, you're like, hey, what? I like this church. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. But the point of it is, is that because everything that we need is, is given to us by God himself, and that's the only thing we're going to care about. Here in the, on this earth, we care about it, right? It, it kind of breaks our heart maybe a little bit. But, but in, in view of eternity, in light of what Scripture tells us, Everything, all of our joy, all of our peace, everything we need is going to be not just available to us, but actually given to us. And that's the only thing that we're going to care about is the better that God has for us. Revelation 21.5 says the king is sitting on his throne and he says, I am making all things new. In other words, I am making it perfect. And I can't wait to live in eternity. But they began to minimize these Sadducees, the power of God. Not only that He couldn't raise people from the dead, but their their narrow-mindedness was thinking that God would somehow take us into eternity and create us to be exactly the way we were on this earth. Broken and flawed and struggling and having needs. But Isaiah 55, 8, 9, if if they would have accepted Scripture in its entirety, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways aren't your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That's the power of God. Better than me. Better than you. Better than anything we can think about. Better than anything that we can control. As for the resurrection, Jesus says, So have you not heard? Did you not read? Do you not remember? And he's using their own scripture uh, against them. Because again, they only follow uh, the first five books of the Bible. And so Jesus says, well, let me give you some proof then. I'm just going to make it very easy for you as to how God actually speaks of resurrection in the book of Exodus. Have you not read as, as God met with Moses through the burning bush, was calling him to go to Egypt and to rescue the people. And Moses says, who should I say sent me? And God says, tell them I am. Tell them I am. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had died hundreds of years before Moses ever shows up on the scene. And Jesus is basically just using, he's just using grammar. He said, God didn't say, you tell them I am the God who was the God of Abraham, was the God of Jacob, was the God. Tell them, I am the God who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's plain and simple, Jesus is saying. 
Then Hebrews tells us, by faith, they received salvation, eternity with God forever. God is alive each and every day, as much alive each and every day as He is today as He was back then. And those that have died back then and had a faith in God are just as much alive, more than alive today than they were back then. Because they're in the presence of God. The present tense Jesus uses. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living, clarifying that the God's people, His chosen people who've chosen Him, are alive with Him today. So the Sadducees held to this belief that the body and soul had such a close relationship that when the body was dead, so was the soul. But their belief that that God wasn't really active in humanity, but basically kind of set His law and inactively expects people to obey, Jesus, through what He just taught, is proving them wrong. I am. I'm the God of today, and I'm the God of tomorrow. I am the God of yesterday. And if in, from when it comes to God, it's all happening at the same time because He's that great. And it changes how we live our lives. But the soul lives on, and those that acknowledge the truth of Jesus live on after this life. It changes how we live our lives. It gives hope for things that are greater. That's why Jesus went to the cross, to destroy that which was the worst in us. That's why He went to the grave, to conquer it, to defeat it, and to raise again to offer the best that God has for us. The best. Himself. Through His Son. Let me just finish up with a word from the Old Testament. One of the clearest passages about, uh, about the resurrection. And it's found in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 12. This is how it, uh, it begins. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge over your people. And there will be a time of trouble that has never been since... There was a nation till that time. Talking about tribulation, what's coming in the future. But at that time, your people will be delivered. Everyone whose name that is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness are like the stars forever and ever. There is a life after this life, and it is so much better than this one. But as Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we're not supposed to just sit back and wait for the someday, but we're supposed to play our part to bring the best of heaven here as as we possibly can. That means giving people Jesus. But it starts by living a life with Jesus. We want to live the best life. We know we're going to receive it. So let's do our best to try to to live what we're going to get someday and show the world what it could possibly be like. That is how we improve this world. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how you've worked today, whatever it is that your spirit has spoken to our hearts as we've gone through this. May it just continue to grow. May we desire to to grow into it even more uh, on our own. May we fall more in love with your word, more in love with your son, more in love with each other, longing for the day when everything is at its best. Amen.